yourselves a hand for making it out this morning. Come on, I'm so proud of you. Good job. Can we clap for our online family? We love you guys. Thanks for joining in. And then can we also clap for our Mansfield family? Uh, they're doing such a great work, Pastors Jonathan and Myrna. So proud of them. <clears throat> well, we're in a series as we lead up to Christmas called The Gifts. Everybody say The Gifts. And can I just say this to you? Merry Christmas. You guys look so wonderful. You know, uh, Christmas is supposed to be a time where we um, celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's supposed to be a time where we give gifts to one another. And the premise of our series is what gift do we bring to Jesus? I mean, as we're, as we're contemplating what to buy for Grandma and for Johnny and this one and that one and the other one, I think if we're not careful, we'll lose sight of what gift should we bring to Jesus. And so as we jumped into this series uh, last week, um, we started with a key passage in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, the wise men, the magi, have come and they have found the little child Jesus. Now, I've already told you this if you weren't here last week. Jesus was not in the manger when the magi show up. And so we always laugh, you know, because we've got our little manger scenes with the little wise men or the magi with their gifts. And that actually didn't transpire that way. Um, they, they, um, Jesus and his family were already in a house by this point when the magi show up. They've been looking for him, following the star and uh, so forth and so on, probably somewhere between one and two years of age. And verse 11, when they show up, look what it says. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down. I just think, I can't get that picture out of my mind. That these grown men, and then we also taught you there probably weren't three little magi. Uh, they had three types of gift that they give. But they would have traveled in a giant caravan of these type of men. And with their, with their families, with their guards, their armed guards. These guys were, of, of their time, they were probably the most uh, technologically advanced. They would have been like an Elon Musk. And they're looking uh, for this, uh, this Messiah, this king, if you will, that had been kind of prophesied over the hundreds of years in their ancient manuscripts that they had read through. They were kind of seers. Their, their goal was to be able to lead countries in, in wisdom and, and give counsel to, to uh, presidents, if you will, to put it in modern way of thinking. And so when they show up at the house, and the moment they come into the presence of a one, two-year-old, and his mother Mary, it says they bowed down and worshipped him. The awe of Jesus, the Messiah, and these great men. And there could, have been, there could have been scores of them. They would have had this giant caravan. And here they are on their face worshipping this child. Can you imagine the intensity? Can you imagine being Mary or Joseph in this moment as, you know, Elon Musk is on his knees in front of your child and worshiping the, the, the atmosphere that that would have, would have created, the, the intensity of the moment, the adoration that they pour out and continuing on. It says, and then they opened up their treasures. I always think about this too. What's your treasure? What is your treasure in life? All of us have different things that we treasure more than other things in our life. They opened up their treasures, things that they had worked for, things that they had acquired, things that they had overcome the, to, to have these treasures. And then it lays out the three types of treasures that they open up to Jesus. And that is they presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And our premise in this series has been that these three gifts were literally prophetic speaking over who this child was and who this child was to become. 
And we started with that first gift being the gift of gold. And last week we taught you that the gift of gold would have been the gift that you would have given to a king. Jesus, our king. And we said, how do we bring our gifts of gold? What is our gift of gold? I mean, what are you going to you know, just start, you know, un, you know uh, start selling everything off, convert it to gold and come bring it to the church? What's our gifts of gold, if you will? And we laid out some thoughts there on what that gift of gold really represents. Number one, it represents us submitting to his rulership. You're king. That means I'm not. I'm not the king of my life. I'm not the Lord of my life. I don't, I don't tell myself. I don't rule my life. I come into your submission. And as I read through your holy scriptures, we found that there are things that Jesus' rulership requires of those who are his servants that we probably really struggle with. And we all admitted that that's a hard one, Pastor. You're right. It's hard for me to submit in that area of what the Lord said. We also lined out that our gift of gold would be surrendering our valuables. And I challenged you, is there anything if the Lord asked for it that you would have a hard time giving over to him? If the Lord asked you, I was with some people the other night who was telling me how the Lord had asked them for their home to give it away and walk away from it, give it to some missionaries, and they did it. And they said what happened was it so transformed who they were. In fact, I had another gentleman who told me he's given away $4 million in his lifetime. As the Lord gives it to him, he just passes it on. He says there is nothing more valuable to me than Jesus. He has an understanding of Jesus as his king. And then we also said the other gift that, that would represent the goal would be to get, surrender our rights, to give away our rights. All of us have been done wrong. All of us have people that have misappropriated us, hurt us, just missed the mark with us. And we all carry that. I'm right to not like them. I'm right to avoid them. I'm right to hate them. I'm right to pray against them. And literally throughout scripture, Jesus tells us, I need you to lay down your rights because if I'm going to be king, then you have to be servant. If you're going to be king, then you've got a problem because I can't be king and you can't be king at the same time. Surrender your rights. And as we jump into the second part, we're going to look at this gift of frankincense. Everybody say frankincense. I know the word itself, doesn't it just reek of Frankenstein or something like that, right? And so our key scripture for this piece is going to be found in Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll kind of bring this out, and then we'll break it down a little later in the message. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, everybody say high priest. Who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Jesus is our high priest. And the gift for a high priest that would represent that is, is this frankincense, this gift to a high priest. And, and, the, and, and as I kind of dove into this frankincense a little bit, um, what I love about this Hebrews passage, and it's literally confirming what the Magi were prophesying. This passage says, since we have a great high priest. So as they are on their knees, opening up their gifts, and they open up this frankincense, this would have been, this would have been a gift that would have been in the temple. This would have been a, a, a possession of great value in the temple that the high priest would have worked with. And so they literally are prophesying as they hand out the frankincense to Jesus that you are the high priest. They were only prophesying what Hebrews would later confirm that Jesus is our high priest. And I think about this frankincense. Now, probably most of you don't know what frankincense is. It's an, uh, it's an aromic resin. And um, it, it literally, uh, in fact, show them the bowl. Once they extract it, show them the picture of what it looks like. So now if you had some frankincense in your car and you got pulled over, I'd be very cautious with that. Because when I look at it, it looks like a bunch of crack rocks. But that's what frankincense 
<laughs> That's what it looks like, all right? And it comes from the Boswella tree, uh, which you still can find the Boswella tree um, 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 in areas like Yemen and Somalia growing wild. Show them that tree for just a second so you can see a picture of what that tree looks like. So it kind of almost looks like some of the trees around uh, the South uh, Dallas area, uh, some, of the, you know, some of those type of trees. And the way they extract the resin is by cutting into the tree. And they'll cut into the tree... And, uh, and then that, the resin inside of it will kind of exude as you cut into it. And that whole process of it exuding, um, they call it um, tears. They call it the tears, that resin as it drips out, which I think is pretty significant even just, uh, just in, in way of thinking that you cut into something precious and it literally, it, the crying of the brokenness, of the tearing. And I, I believe that from our tears can come something beautiful and something magnificent. Some aroma that, light, that, that, that um, adjusts the whole atmosphere of a room. And so just, just, just prophetically for a moment, the hard things that you've been through, the tears that you've shed, I promise you they can bring life to others even though they were painful for you. And they will extract these, this resin, these tears as they title them. And then, of course, as that, as that resin is... Um, set out, it then hardens into the little rock form that you see uh, in that first picture. And um, in fact, the word frankincense is our English word. It actually comes, um, the, the French were the first to uh, introduce frankincense, this incense, to Europe. And in that era of time, they called the, uh, the French francs, the francs. And the francs brought their incense and introduced it to Europe there, thus frankincense, or frankincense as we so tenderly use the term now which I knew you wanted that history lesson because it would make you better but let me just kind of um yeah so let me just let me just kind of show you uh in scripture uh, the old testament and the use that we find frankincense all throughout the old testament and the use that they had for it if in in biblical times um first and foremost it was um it was an incense that was used all throughout the temple so so this beautiful aroma um, and you know what you know what a beautiful aroma does. You know what it's like to walk into a room that smells magnificent, and um, and you know what it is to walk in a room that smells funky. Come on, junior high locker room. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, just think about some of these these. You know, all the time I would tell my kids, "Hey, you need to you need to do something because you're funky right now." My goodness. But when there's a beautiful aroma, how attractive it is. And literally, in the temple worship of Jehovah, they would create an aroma so that when the people would come into the outer court areas, into worship areas, they would literally sense the Lord through this precious aroma of frankincense. And it was, um, it was symbolic of, 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 um, of their prayers. In Leviticus chapter 6, we find that frankincense was burned uh, with meat offerings. What they would literally do is they would crush it, turn it into a powder. And, uh, and so if you don't understand the way the Old Testament worked, um, the, uh, Israel, Israelite sins, they were atoned for throughout the year through sacrifices. And God, what God was doing was symbolically saying, hey, listen, your sin, you don't understand the pain that your sin creates in the earth the pain that it creates, the suffrage that it creates. So I want you to symbolically see it. So I'm asking that you would sacrifice little innocent animals. I want you to see the pain that you create with your sin. I want you to understand what you do in the earth. 
And so he would have them kill these, these little ewe lambs, these little precious lambs that had done nothing wrong. They would sacrifice them, and the priests would extract the meat, and then they would put it over an open fire. Well, I don't know about you, but that aroma of a good steak cooking in a backyard is something amazing. But then what they would do is they would crush they would crush the, 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 the little um, frankincense and put it as, as like a powder. And as the aroma came up of the sacrifice of the lamb and its meat, it would then be mixed with the frankincense. And the aroma would blend. And it was said of the Lord that it was a sweet smell in his nostrils, representing that humanity was repentant of their sins and the tears that were, that were being extracted, the blood of Jesus. So it was a symbol, this frankincense of the precious blood of Jesus that would be spilled. And it was aroma that was a mix of the meat smell and the frankincense smell. And so it was considered the prayers of the saints were going up before the Lord because the frankincense was mixed in it. It was the Lord forgive us of our sins even as we forgive those. Come on, everybody knows the Lord's prayer. It was this beautiful prayer... Uh, uh, il illustration for the people and for God. And so it was used as symbolically of prayers. It was also used, um, obviously it was used all throughout the worship setting, but it was also used in the anointing oil. And what they would do with this frankincense is they would crush it and they would make it, um, they, they would uh, formulate it in the oil. And um, this anointing oil was used for everything in the about their anointed um most time in in modern times they misappropriate that concept we're all anointed because the word anointed literally means separated unto god i am separated unto god so i never i i always challenged my children as they were growing up as christians and they would get into sin i would say you do understand god has marked you and separated you to himself you can't date who everybody else is dating. You can't look on, on, on the internet like what everybody else is. You have been separated unto God. You have been anointed. You have been called out. You have been marked. You know how you did when you first went to school in, in the first and second grade? You wrote your name on everything. Why? Because it was yours. You can't use my colors. My name's on that. And that's what anointing means, that he has put his name, he has put his mark on you. And there's a smell and aroma to his mark. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so the, the pieces of the, uh, the, the, the high priest could not come into the presence of the Lord without this anointing oil placed over. Uh, to be sure, uh, you, you know how animals do? They sniff each other to see if they're, they're of the same group. You know what I'm talking about? They're sniffing. Okay, you with us. Okay, you with us. And literally there is aroma coming off the high priest, the anointing oil that was made from this frankincense to say... Lord, I'm yours. Don't forget, I'm, before, you, before you start killing things, I'm yours. Remember, I'm, I'm marked with your anointing oil. The utensils, the, the, the workings, the, the, the different pieces throughout the temple that were anointed, they, were, they couldn't be used for anything else but for God. The anointing oil. And that's where the frankincense came into play. And so as we dive down into it, I want to help you understand even what was the role. If, our, if, if Jesus is our high priest, Let's back up to the Old Testament. What was the role of the high priest? It was really simple. And let me just break this down for you. The high priest spoke to God on behalf of the people, and he spoke to the people on behalf of God. What the high priest really was was a mediator, a mediator between the people and between God. 
And we find this amazing passage in the book of Job. Now, if you've never studied or read the book of Job, it's this storyline about a man who was dedicated to God. And literally, Satan comes before the Father, before the throne, and he says, and God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Because he's the real deal, man. He lo- Everybody else may be wicked, but he loves me. And Satan says, only because, because you put a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to him because you, you take care of him. Everything I try to do, you, you can't get to him. And I promise you, you let that down for a moment, and he will curse you to your face. He only loves you because you give him good things. The moment that you take your protection off of him and he goes through some bad things, anybody know these kind of Christians? The moment he goes through something bad, he's going to up yours and walk away from you. And God said, you can do anything but killing. And Job, go read the book of Job. Job Satan begins, he, first he, he, he bankrupts him. He kills off his kids. The Bible talks about how Job sits with boils all over. He, I mean, he literally gets, you know, some type of boil all over. Everything, he, everything that touches him aches. And so in, in desperation, he cries out to God, no answer, no answer, no answer. His friends start coming by and say, bro, I don't know what you did, but you are obviously on God's bad side, and he doesn't care about you. You might as well just curse him and die to get your misery come to it. And the Bible says, but in all of that, Job never blamed God. Never blamed God. But in chapter 9 of the book of Job, and I'll just call it out to you in verse 33, Job says this. He cries out and he goes, if only someone... If only someone would mediate between me and God because I need to talk to him and I need to hear from him because right now I don't hear his voice anywhere and I don't know why that I need a mediator. I need somebody to stand between me and God and help me understand what he's doing and I need him to understand what I'm going through. I need a mediator. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. He's crying out for a mediator and this is what the high priest would do. would stand between God and the people and say, God, what do you need your people? They're doing that again. I, I, I'm so sorry, Father. I'll tell them. And he would stand before the people and say, the Lord your God says this. And then he would go to God with the sins of the people. And so they're repentant of their sins. He was a go-between between God and his people. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And this is why Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we don't need a high priest like that anymore. Because 2,000 years ago, in a lowly manger was born the Christ, our high priest, who would be a mediator between us and God. In fact, let me read it all the way through to you in Hebrews again, chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we pro- profess. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You have to understand this, this, this scenario, why Jesus had to become what he became. How, why did God leave earth, the son of God, leave earth and become human form? And we say it like this, Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. You say, Pastor, how does that work? I don't know. When we get to heaven, maybe we'll understand a little bit better. But let me tell you the reason why Jesus had to be 100% God and 100% man. Because as these manly high priests, these human high priests are standing between God and man, they understand man position, but they cannot understand God's position. So they're not a great mediator. 
They're not the perfect mediator because they cannot really understand because God's ways are higher than our ways. And so how, how they're trying to explain to the people God's ways, but they themselves don't even get it. But Jesus, the great high priest, 100% God and 100% man, because here's the other thing. If he doesn't become man, then humanity has a fault against God and says, you don't understand what you've done to us. We don't have the power to stop sinning. We don't have the ability. Woe is us. We're just lowly humans. And yet you say, be holy even as you are holy. We cannot grasp that. But Jesus came as Hebrews just told us. And he did not sin. He made a pathway to us. And so when Jesus says, the Father says this, the Father says that. And not only does he completely understand it and able to translate it to us, but he's also able to say, Father, Father, they're good. They really are. I know they're full of wickedness, but they really do love you. He is the mediator between us and God. He is our, our high priest. That's why you don't need a high priest and a pastor. You can go straight to your God. You have Jesus as your high priest. You don't need to go to confessional and tell somebody else all your little problems when you can come to the great high priest and say, I need you, Jesus. I need to understand what God is doing in this moment. I need you. If Job could have had Jesus, if Job could have had Jesus, we wouldn't have 30-something chapters of misery. Because for 30 chapters, he and his boys go back and forth about how bad it is. I mean, there's only like, I think, 33 chapters or something like that in the book of Job. And 30 of them are just miserable, full of false doctrine and teaching. Of, well, maybe this and maybe that. Until finally God shows up on the scenes and says, when did you tell the sea where to stop or the sun when to rise? I am God. <laughs> Which Job said, ooh, yes, sir, yes, sir, do whatever you need to do. Because he had not a high priest. But we, the followers of Jesus, have a great high priest. First Timothy 2 and 5 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity or mankind, the man Jesus he is our mediator. He's, the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding or mediating for us. Anybody ever been to, ever been to court? Ever been in real trouble? You don't have to testify. It's okay. We'll get you later. So, oh, Pastor, don't make me talk about that. Y'all find out. Y'all don't want me in this church that you find out. But if you've ever been in a tough, tough situation, you... And, and you, you ain't got a lot of money, and you're looking at that lawyer like, boy, you better get me out of this. You better get, ma'am, I don't listen. Listen, let me tell you something. That dude over there is lying, and you better fix this for me because your voice is the only one this judge is listening to. You are my representative. You are my mediator. And if you don't even believe, I love to watch whodunit shows. I love all the lawyer shows. I love all those shows. I'm old school. I like all the old, old ones, you know. And uh, I just, uh, Matt Locke, I love all those, you know, all those old shows like that. Because I just, I just love when a lawyer is actually on your side. I need you to understand Jesus is on your side. And he stands there before the father as the accusing, if you will, the prosecuting attorney is saying, she's terrible. She may go to church, but she doesn't love you. You get her one car accident and she will cuss you up one side and down the other. Cause her marriage to go. Let me get her marriage go sour. And I promise you, she will not serve you. While Jesus is standing, say, your honor, dad, that's not true. 
She has times where she falters, but she loves you. She's mine, and I'm yours. And so your strength to her is supernatural. This is why you have to understand Jesus, our king last week, understanding Jesus, our high priest this week. And the question is, what do you bring? What gift do you bring a high priest? What do you bring to your high priest, Jesus? What kind of gift would that be? I want to break this down, even as we saw the working of this frankincense. What is that frankincense for us in modern times in this moment? Write this down. Number one, the first gift of frankincense to our high priest should be our worship. Everybody say worship. Say it again. Say worship. I'm not talking about singing songs on a Sunday. I'm talking about adoration. First Chronicles chapter 16, 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. God has been good to you. Most of you in this room should not be alive. You have done some stupid stuff over the years. You've been in places you shouldn't have been with people you should have never been with, the kind that mama told you never to associate with. But Jesus, but Jesus, some of you should be bitter Grew up around ministry, you've seen the inner workings of people's humanity, but Jesus has kept you soft and loving and caring. But Jesus, He is deserving of our adoration and our worship. I don't have grandkids yet, I'm not trying to hurry my kids too much because all in time. But I watch when some of you become grandparents. I would say that it is on the borderline of worship when these little ones come along. I have never seen how you will go in debt to make sure that that child has anything it could ever imagine for Christmas. You, it's amazing, and you start showing me pictures. Look, Pastor, look how beautiful it is. And I'm looking at that kid going, mm. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> and you're like, look, look how precious. Look, look at his first little poo-poo in the diaper. Look at that, taking poo. Why? Because you adore this child, this grandbaby. It, you just, it's not the same thing when you're parents, right? Because you're like, look, this thing has made my life miserable. <laughs> Grandparents are like, ha now you know. <laughs> and I'm going to make it hard for y'all. <laughs> I'm going to give this kid candy every time I see him. I don't care. <laughs> but there's this adoringness that I see in the eyes of grandparents towards baby grandchildren. It's that adoration is what real worship truly is. I adore you, Jesus. You are the love of my life. That is the gift. And so this Christmas season, I would challenge you. Find yourself in worship. Find yourself bringing your frankincense before the high priest. Find yourself bringing your worship. Let it be this aroma that comes off of you as you worship and you sing before the Lord your God. I had the privilege participating in one of the young couples in our church they had a wedding they're sitting here on the front row Caleb and Ray my assistant and uh, and they're a little granola you know they wanted to do some things out of the box at their wedding and um, but when when they had a worship leader begin to sing and they all but stopped the entire procession of their funeral and all of a sudden it wasn't about them and they got down what did I say their funeral 
Somebody died that day. Two individuals died that one couple may arise is what happened. Yes, I did. <clears throat> but in the middle of this wedding, when the attention is always on the bride and the groom and our love and affection, and we're there to celebrate their happy day, they got down on their knees, show them a picture, and they began to worship their Jesus. Would you show them that for me? Look at them. It was important to them that they brought their gift of worship before the Lord their God as they were becoming one. Worship is not just something we do on Sundays. It's less about the songs and more about the adoration and the gratefulness and the love exuding from us. It's about Jesus, you are my high priest. You go between me and the Father. And you stand there righteously and you take care of me. And you represent me even when I don't represent myself properly. A couple months ago, I taught on worship and praise. I gave you seven Hebraic terms. Unbelievable. Hael, where we adore the Lord our God. Tada, which is to praise him for what he's not yet even done. Yada, to praise him for how good he's been. It's a great message. Go back and find that, the seven Hebraic terms. <clears throat> Two days ago, I was at the graduation of the Bible school up the street, Christ for the Nations, and I'm on the executive team there. And we're on the stage. It's supposed to be a graduation with pomp and circumstance. We're all in our robes. All the guys around me, their little, you know, their little robes show all the degrees that they have acquired over the years and their great intellect and their great prowess of being able to rightly divide the word and their training and all these great students. We're doing this great work. In the middle of that, family's there. Everyone's dressed in nice suits and ties. It's a real, you know, it's a real professional space and moment like a graduation from a university should be. And all of a sudden, the worship team broke into praising Jesus. And I'll tell you, I found myself, I couldn't, I couldn't look professional in that moment. My little robe all on me and the provost, my title. And I just... I got to thinking, Lord, you put me on this stage. I didn't put myself on this stage. I didn't even do the degree work. I just did what you told me to do. And before I knew it, my little hands were up in the air. Before I knew it, I was yelling out, hallelujah, bless the Lord. The adoration that we should give and have the ability to give to the great high priest who stands there and mediates for us and says, no, 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 daddy. Hold on, daddy. Let me tell you the, let me tell, don't listen to him. Let me tell you the truth about her. Let me tell you the truth about them. I know, I know that's their actions look that way, but their heart is this father. Let's give them another chance. Let's give them a fifth chance. I know this is the 15th time they've done that this week, daddy. But, but literally there's goodness in them and they do love you and they're mine. And they made a decision for us, father. He mediates, the great mediator, as we bring forth our worship. At Christmas Eve services that you all will be in attendance with, with all your family, relatives, and people off the street that you find under a bridge to bring. At our Christmas Eve services, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to give you a gift. That gift is going to be a precious candle. And what I'm asking you to do with that candle is at some point during your Christmas time with your family, 
is to sit down around a table in a living room on the floor, wherever you're comfortable with, light that candle, and let it create that atmosphere and begin to worship your Jesus in front of your kids that maybe don't love the Lord or don't know how to serve God, your family members that are a little uncomfortable. At some point, maybe just you and your wife because you don't want to do that with your, I don't know, but there should be this moment, and I'm trying to help you set up that moment, that you give your high priest the worship that he deserves. Here's the second if you will, gift of frankincense that would be adorning to our high priest, and that is our prayers. Everybody say our prayers. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do you know God loves for you to pray? He loves for you to pray. I put prayer in two categories in my mind, supplication or, or petition, if you will, and then communion, communing. And so there are the, God's not mad that you have a request. You don't hate your kids because they're like, can you help me get this? Can you help me do that? They're your children. You love them. You want to provide for them. Imagine if you had all the resources in heaven. You'd spoil those kids crazy, right? And so the only reason you tell kids no is to either train them to break off any kind of selfishness or because you just don't have the resources. Well, God does the both, but he has the resources. But the other part of prayer is literally communing. And I want you to think about this. Every one of you have someone that you just enjoy being with. You enjoy, in fact, if, I could, if you had the opportunity this week to sit down and have coffee with someone, who's, the, who's someone that you just, man, I just love conversing with them. I mean, every time I'm watching, we get each other. It's just that, that or, or, or let me ask you like this. If you, if, if you could just, who, if I went through your phone and I saw, who do you talk to the most? Who do you just enjoy being with? That's what prayer should be like. That you should have these these all throughout the day, these moments, and I do. I don't have these long two-hour prayer shifts that I do before the Lord that's laborious. And I mean, because I picture the relationship with Jesus and the relationship with the Father like the relationship with my wife. And I, I can't imagine every day trying to have a one hour. I love you, 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 I love you. Oh, by the way, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? I love you, I love you, I love you. All throughout the day, I'm communing and communicating with my love, my wife. And all throughout the day, I've learned to do the same thing with Jesus. He loves to engage with us. You think about it. Some of you have family members that you don't get to talk to that much. And so when you finally get to be, sit down with them. Some of you have children, adult children that are off, you know, with their families. And when they call, you just love to pick up that phone and talk to them. What else are you doing? What else are you doing? Like, you want me to tell you about how we just got a new lawnmower? Tell me about the new lawnmower. Why? Because you love them. Jesus loves to hear from you. He loves to talk with you. You say, I don't feel like he ever talks back. Well, that's part of your learning curve is to learn how he speaks through his holy scriptures, how he nudges you through the Holy Spirit, how he brings thoughts into your mind that are from heaven, and these are pieces that he engages with you and talks with you. It's magnificent. I was just talking to one of, one of my favorite people in our church. He's like, I was going to buy donuts for breakfast the other morning, and as I was there, the Lord spoke to me and said, pay for this lady's breakfast. Well, I don't know this lady, but yes, sir. The Lord spoke to him. He spoke. The thought came into his mind. He did it. And that person says, you don't have any idea who I am. It ended up being a reporter or somebody. Or some, and like, oh, my goodness. You, you, no one's ever bought me breakfast. Da, 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 da. And just this God moment because he heard the Spirit of the Lord speaking. The Spirit of the Lord's always talking. And, 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 and he's always wanting to engage with you. The greatest gift that you can bring your high priest is your prayers. That aroma, that frankincense mixed on that meat. And as the, as the prayers of the saints go up, 
It's a beautiful smell in his nostrils. He loves for you to pray. Some of you have this hang-up with prayer because maybe you grew up in a situation where people manipulated God with their prayers and say, I don't want to manipulate. Some of you have this thing. It's still a lordship issue. You still want to be in charge of everything in your life. And so you think, well, I don't want to bother God with that. That's because you really are. You really are a narcissist. I love you. God bless you. But that's what you are. You say, what do you mean? But how can you call me that? Because when you're surrendered to your king, only he can fix everything. He's the king. Your life is surrendered. So you have to have every moment engagement with the one that you love who's taking care of you and watching after you and directing you and guiding you. You and I need to come out of this brokenness of, I just don't want to bother him. You know, I, I grew up that, you know, da-da-da, and prayer was this miserable thing that you did over and over again for these long shifts. That is the craziest. I am so sorry you had that experience. Now get free. Because the true experience should look like this throughout the day. Daddy, I love you. I'm going to just praise you for a second right here at this red light. Because that lady right there, I'm about to stab her as she cut me off. So I'm going to praise you for being Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I bless you. Daddy, what do you want to do about this situation at my job that they just put this new responsibility on me that's not in my job description and they're not going to pay me anymore? Lord, how do, we, how do we handle that? Talk to me about that, Jesus. Show me what to do with that. This engagement, he loves that. This is a beautiful gift during Christmas to start learning how to give on a daily basis to your high priest. And this is the last one. And, uh, and that is, write this one down. Here's a third, if you will, frankincense representative. And that is our giftings. Bring him our giftings. Do you understand that every one of you have giftings? God gave them to you. So when you give your giftings back to him, you're basically just re-gifting. <laughs> Let that sink for a moment. Some of you dudes like, what's re-gifting? <laughs> Ask your wives. They know about re-gifting. Ooh, your mama gave us that. Oh, thank you. Okay. That's going to end up at the white elephant <laughs> Christmas party right there. Right? Have you ever re-gifted something? Somebody gave you something, and you're like, well, I'm going to give that to somebody else. Try to scratch out the name on the bag, you know, because you don't reuse the bag. Uh, when we give our giftings... Back to Jesus who gave us the giftings. That's all we're really doing. In fact, let me just help you understand some of your giftings that God gave you. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 through 8. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I know you've not grown up in churches like that, but that's Hill City. We belong to one another. We're many parts working together to do great things for God. You're not isolated all to the side. That's why I keep begging you, please come involved. Please, please, come on, come on, join in. Snap into the body. Come on, let's go. You're sitting out there in a little Petri dish, and you think, you know, oh, I just don't want to get close. I've been hurt. Yeah, you're dying and suffocating because you're not in the body. E each of us, though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. And if it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's, if it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If, the, uh, if it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And he lays out these nine, if you will, type of gifts, these, these gifts, these practical gifts that each and every one of us possess. Some of you have leadership. From the time you were this tall, you were telling everybody what to do leadership some of you you have this gift of mercy i mean the moment i start disciplining some somebody you go pastor don't whip them please don't whip them it's like well, but they're bad 
But mercy. And I always love the people in, in the church with the mercy gift. Pastor, there are people under that bridge with nothing to eat this Thanksgiving. I'm like, great, go do something about it. And they're like, no, Pastor, you need to do something about it. No, no, let my leadership gift help your mercy gift. I'm going to help you with a little bit of leadership here, right? God put it in your heart, do it. Get the credit for it. I'm not going to get the credit for what God gave you to do. Come on, you stand with So each one of these gifts, in fact, if we jump over to 1 Corinthians 12, we see the set of power gifts that each of us obviously possess some of. It says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Why is it given? For the common good. The common good of who? The body of Christ and the lost and dying in the earth. Verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To, uh, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to that, that distinguishing between spirits that that discernment gift is really really beautiful uh, when you also have intercession connected to it if you have that discernment gift without intercession and you're critical excuse me then you'll become critical and you start judging everybody yeah i can tell right there that's a jezebel spirit right there mm-hmm. well why did god give you that gift of discernment to pray to love to show mercy anyway anyway let's go all right <clears throat> All right, distinguishing between spirits to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one in the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I love that last one was uh, interpretation of tongues and tongues. We actually had a moment of that a few weeks ago, a few months ago. It was so precious. Uh, we were standing in there in worship, and Lance and the team, they're in the glory cloud, and all of a sudden, a lady, about two or three behind me, she all of a sudden starts going... I could, I could hear, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, and all of a sudden she goes, I don't know how it sounded, but it's similar to that. <laughs> and she starts, she starts prophesying in a tongue. Well, 90 seconds before that, I heard the Spirit of the Lord whisper to me, I'm about to give you a prophetic word. I'm like, all right, what do you want me to say? She starts going off. Well, Pastor Lance and them, they all have inner ears. So they can't hear anything going out in the audience. So I'm waving at him. <laughs> so finally, I don't know who saw me, but I ran up and I pounded the stage. Bow, because I was trying to get some reverberation or something through this wooden stage. He looked up and I was like, he said, oh, okay. And she finished the prophecy and then, and then I came back in the spirit. <laughs> and I gave this prophetic word. Um, in English where you could understand it because the tongues obviously you didn't have the interpretation God gave it to me That's what tongues interpretation of tongues is like After the service I walked up to her and, I, and she was with a group of people and I said I want to thank you for being obedient That was real powerful. We don't see that a lot in the in the modern church anymore The the expression of tongues interpretation of tongues in the prophetic realm like it's supposed to be handled you did that with such It's very beautiful. You did that very orderly and she goes pastor. She starts weeping She said um my husband and I were in ministry for many, many years, and seven years ago, my husband died unexpectedly. And she said, and I laid down all my gifts. I went into a depression, and for seven years I haven't ministered, I haven't used my gifts at all. And she said, I've not come to your church very often. I, this is only the first or second time. It was like right in there. She goes, and as all of a sudden I'm in worship with you guys, and today is the anniversary of my husband's death. And the anniversary when I quit on God and I quit using my gifts for the body of Christ today. She goes, and I'm in worship and all of a sudden I hear him say, I want to give you a prophetic 
word for the people. She goes, okay, Lord, but, but okay, I'll do it. I, I, I'm willing now. I'm willing to step back in. I'm, I'm, I'm healed up. I'm willing. He goes, and it's going to be in tongues. She goes, oh, no, Jesus. I don't know these people. I don't know if they're going to throw things at me. The usher's going to grab me and drag me out. I don't know this church. And she said, so I did. I said, because I asked her, I said, well, when you started, it was a little low. She was like, and I was like, and so I recognized it was a prophetic tongue. And that's why I tried to get everybody's attention to quiet down so you could speak out. She goes, I sensed that. And she goes, and the more I stepped out in faith, faith the more it grew. And, um, and I said, it was very powerful. And she goes, and do you understand your interpretation of what it was? And she recalled back to me what the word was. She goes, do you know who that was for? I said, who? She goes, me. So God gave her a prophetic tongue. Gave the pastor the interpretation, and it was all for her. <laughs> I have not, I have, it, it, something along the lines, of, I think it was something along the lines, I have not, I've not walked away from you. I have not rejected you, abandoned you. I've been with you through this whole dark season. I'm with you even now, and I will take you into new heights and new places. It was something along the lines of that. And she's crying after service. I'm crying after the services. Let me tell you something. Each one of you have gifts. You have them. God gave them to you. And when you and I give them back, it took her... It took her seven years to give her gift back to the Father to be used. It took, her, it, it, she, she, it, it took the courage to step out, and it took her seven years to build back to that place of, Lord, here's my gift. You gave me a gift, and I've literally been hiding it. Have you ever received a gift? Excuse me, let me say it like this. Have you ever given a gift to someone, and they never used it? What did you say about that when you saw it in their closet? Two years later with dust all over it. You're like, I ain't giving you nothing again. I'm so grateful that Jesus doesn't do that. But you literally, many of us, have taken those gifts and, ooh, I don't really understand that and I don't want to learn it. So we put it in the closet and shut the door. If God wants me to use it, he will come on me and I'll use it. Or we take the gift and we use it not for which the way it was created to be used. Some of you are using your leadership gift beautifully in business, but you won't use it in ministering to people. Or your mercy gift over here in this other nonprofit, but not in your local church. And so these gifts are, un you say, Pastor, I don't even know what my gifts are. Well, I have such good news for you. <laughs> this is why we do a grow track. And you hear us begging, go to the grow track, go to the grow track. And the reason why we do that is partly what we do, because I want every person in our church to minister. I want you to be a conduit to God to move through and touch people. He said, but Pastor, I'm broken. Great. He uses broken things all throughout Scripture. I mean, did you, let me ask you this. Let me ask you how broken you are. Have you, ever, um, have you ever forced a woman to have sex with you who was married to another man and then got her pregnant? And when you found out you got her pregnant, you put her husband and had him killed, assassinated, and then married her? You haven't done that? Well, that's what David did. And he wrote most of your book of Psalms. And it's called A Man After God's Own Heart. God takes broken people to do great things. And so you have to, so I need you to go through the growth track because in the growth track, we will help you identify your gifting so you can use them for the kingdom of God. So you can give your gift to your high priest. The gifts that he gives you, that you can give them back. That your worship would be beautiful. That your prayers would be beautiful in the nostrils of your high priest. And that your gifts, that you would give them back to him. And that the anointing of God, because you are anointed, you are set apart. All of those instruments, you are an instrument in the house of God. All those in the instruments were anointed with that frankincense. They are set, you cannot use that for that. It can never be used for that. It has to be used for the Lord. 
And each and every one of you have giftings from God that can only be used for the Lord and not for your own selfish ambition. And when you use it in your own selfish ambition, you defile the anointing of God on your life in that area. And that's why I'm very cautious with the gifts that I have, the spiritual gifts of healing. I'm very cautious with them because I don't want to defile them by using them for my own sake and my own glory. But I want to be sure that every one of the people in our church gets healed when they need a healing. That prophecy goes forth. And I don't want to have to dominate with my gift because there are gifts of those all spread out throughout this congregation. And they need to be used for his glory. So I'm begging you, during this Christmas season, re-gift the gift that you were given and give it back to Jesus and let him use you. Would you stand with me quickly across the room? You guys have been a little slow today in listening, so we're running a little late. Being silly. Thank you for your patience as I gave birth to this understanding. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just, um, I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. And would you make a couple of declarations with me? Would you say this? I will give you my worship. Would you say that? Let's do it. Let's do it together. I will give you my worship. Let's try it again. I will give you my worship. Would you say this to your high priest? I will give you my prayers. Let's say it like this. I will gift you my prayers. How about this last one? Would you say it like this with me? I will gift you my gifts. Would you say it again like you mean it? Jesus, I will gift you my gifts. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for this precious church. I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about this meeting. I'm not talking about this service. I'm talking about the men and women who've come together under the banner of Hill City to be one body with many parts. I ask you, Lord God, in this holy moment to come in our midst in a fresh way, to be our high priest. We recognize you as the mediator, just like the Magi did prophetically when they got down on their knees. They recognized that this little toddler is the mediator between men and God, between the sovereign and the broken, that you were the go-between. For no man can come to the Father except through you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are our great mediator. You're the one who stands. Stands against the opposition, against the accusatory of the enemy. And you intercede for us before the throne of heaven. Thank you for being our great high priest. Thank you for teaching us the ways of the Father. Thank you for interceding for us and standing for us. When we've been wicked when we've knowingly sinned against you, thank you for being the mediator of grace and mercy so that we can come boldly into the throne of grace. That's what that Hebrew says. Now, Jesus, I just ask you to hear the cry of your people. Our great high priest, we give you our worship. We give you our prayers. And we will not take the gifts that you've given us and hide them in a closet or misuse them for our own glory. We re-gift the gifts you've given us. We put it in your hands and say, Lord, here's our gifts as we use them for your glory, as we minister to others through the gifts of prophecy, through the gifts of leadership or servanthood or, or mercy, the gifts of administration, all these gifts that you poured out upon us. We use them for your glory to bless you in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you keep your head bowed for just a moment, I want to give a call for anyone who might be away from the Lord. Say, Pastor, i got to be honest. If I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. I'm pretty sure of it. Friend, can I give you some good news? God is here, and you're here right now. 
you're watching with us online, whatever the case may be. But God got you to this place. And your open heart has brought you to this moment. And I have some more good news. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He goes on to teach us that he'll make us his sons and daughters as we pray, as we repent, as we confess with our mouth that he is our Lord and Savior. And today, I'd like to give you the opportunity to make Jesus your Lord and Savior through a prayer of confession, through a prayer of repentance, prayer of dedication of your life. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to plead with you. I want to give you the opportunity. Do you want Jesus? Because he wants you. He wants you so much that he died on a cross 2,000 years ago. He paid for every sin you'll ever commit. He paid it forward. And he reaches out his loving arms. That's why the sign of the cross that Jesus was nailed. He could have been murdered any other way. They could have stabbed him. They could have cut his head off. But he was, he was killed on a cross. Forever his arms extended to broken humanity. Stretched out saying, here I am. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. With every head bowed and every eye closed. You say, Pastor, that's me. Pastor, pray with me. I want to get right with God. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. The cameras are not going to zoom in on you. This is a deep, private, eternal decision. Do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to follow Jesus? He said it like to say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've sinned against you. But here and now, I repent. I change my mind. I turn away from the sins of this world. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross. And I declare, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Would you keep your head bowed for a moment? I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for every man and woman who threw up their hand, who just repeated that prayer. Lord, there's nothing magical about that prayer. What's supernatural is you tugged on their heart. Lord God, you you nudged them. Throw up your hand. Come to me. And they did, Lord. And that prayer sealed it, Lord. It's like the exclamation mark at the end of the sentence. Lord, you've been working in their life for weeks, months, years now to get them to this moment. And Lord, I thank you that this is a holy moment, a moment of transformation, a moment of decision. Lord God, I thank you, Lord God. Just like when I went to that altar in front of the preacher and all those people, and I said, I do to my wife. Lord, they said, I do to you here and now with a profession of their faith. And Lord, I declare that every demon in hell that's tried to destroy them, kill them, harm them, is now broken off of them, and they are protected under the covering of Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. And I ask you now to strengthen them. I ask you to get them some good Christian friends around them. Get them in a good church. If it's not Hill City, then somewhere else, Lord. Just get them rooted and grounded that they can grow. And when the days come, hours maybe, and they trip and fall and sin again, Lord, would you remind them they're not perfect, they're forgiven. And that as they journey with you, they become more like you. And Lord, I declare this over them now and call it so in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we applaud all that God did this week in our lives? He's been doing some good stuff. Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469 606 2684 and uh, we want to respond and again just 
connect with you, and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.